Hey, thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you, encourages you, and brings you closer to Him. Since the time of Adam and Eve, the world had become corrupt, and the wickedness of man on the earth had become incredibly great. And as God looked at this, his, his heart ached for his people, his heart ached for his creation. But as we read in scripture, we, we find that, that a man named Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth. And behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all the flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And God told Noah the exact dimensions that he was to use in building the ark. And then God said, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, and of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep, to, to, to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah did this and all that God had commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your household. For I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And just as the Lord commanded, for forty days and forty nights the rains came, and the earth was flooded. And after some time had passed, and the rains had stopped, and the floodwaters had receded, The earth and the ground became dry again. And at that moment, Noah and his family and all the animals, they went out from the ark to multiply and to fill the earth once more. And then God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I will make between you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my rainbow in the cloud, and that shall be a sign of the covenant between you, between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you 
and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the rainbow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And now, let's hear the rest of the story. I feel like Paul Harvey a little bit. And now, the rest of the story. Well, it's interesting. We started this brand new series last week called In the Beginning. And I don't think in the course of history, 17 years of journey, have I received so many um, just emails and, and Facebook messages about the message last week and how it resonated with people. And if you were here last week, man, we learned some really big theological truths last week. We learned the fact that, that the world was sinless and God creation, uh, created everything and he loved his creation. He loved the earth that we live in, but most of all, he loved us, the creation. And that if Jesus loved us or if God loved us, then we should love everybody too. We should love his creation. And we also looked at sin and we looked at how big sin is and how sin caused us just great problems. Talked about how sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay in and make you pay more than you're willing to pay. And if anybody's ever got caught in the trap of sin because it is a trap, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And today we're going to talk about Noah. And it's interesting because last week I had a caveat and this is what I said. I said, there's way more information that we can cover in 35 minutes. Somebody say amen to that. So we're going to do an eight-part series just on Noah this week, uh, and we're going to, no, we're not. We're not going to do eight. But I, I'm going to encourage you, pick up a Bible, study it for yourself. Last week, I actually gave you a couple options. The book that is uh, one of my favorites is called Keys for Creator. It's by Lee Strobel's. It's just a helpful book in understanding creation, but it's also understanding the beginning portion of the world that we live in. And I said, get a Reary Study Bible. It's old school, but get, get a Reary Study Bible and look at the, the side margins and, and kind of parallel everything that we're talking about this couple weeks. And, and th last week, we kind of ended up, I think, in chapter five or six. And there's lots that happens. Cain and Abel are born. But we're going to get to the part in chapter six, Genesis chapter six, where we talk about this concept of Noah. Now, I want you to know there's a couple things. And I said this last week. There's some things in the Bible that we all don't understand. Somebody say amen to that. Like, I just don't, under, like, I'm going to give you one. Here, let me tell you something I don't understand. We didn't read it because none of us understand this, okay? But Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive, and I just lost everything in my body. Nope, attractive, and they took away their wives, uh, they took uh, as their wives as they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. Uh, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, that's the word right there. Anybody ever ask, what's a Nephilim? Well, it's interesting to me because two years ago, Easter Sunday morning, okay, this was the last time we did Easter service here, um, I, I, I preached this amazing, in my opinion, amazing. It was amazing to you guys too, wasn't it? Amazing message. And I get done and we had people getting saved, asking Jesus to be their savior. And this person walks up to me and says, hey, I have a question about the Bible. And I said, oh, that's great. And I was thinking they were going to know, well, tell me about grace or tell me about how I can know the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. He said, I was reading the Bible and I read in, in Genesis chapter 6 about the Nephilim. And I went, huh? And I said, I'm going to have to do some study because it's been a while since I've talked about the Nephilim. Okay? Now, if you read the Bible, and most of us have tried to attempt at least to read parts of the Bible, the Nephilim are one of those things that are a mystery. Um, in some circles, some theologians think that they were, they were gods. 
Uh, some think they were giants. Many people say that it's actually the lineage of David. Remember, uh, Goliath, the giant, that he was a Nephilim. But you have to understand deeper truth here. Lots of people read through the Old Testament in Greek, but the Bible was written, and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And it doesn't mean giant at all. It just means a large person. And so these Nephilim, we're really not sure. And I say all that to say this, we're not sure. I'm not sure what the Nephilim are. I'm not sure why, hey, let me give you another thing I'm not sure. You're gonna go, Bobby, you're gonna tell, you, tell us anything that you're sure of? Eventually I will. But right now, I'm not sure why God chose this way. Did you ever think, like, God, wasn't there a better way you could have changed the course of history? I, I remember that one scripture. It says, my ways are not your ways. And at some point, it's like John Piper says. John Piper says that God operates from the destination where all of us are, are in the journey. And he's already at that place. He already saw that. He actually operates from the future, long before. And so maybe in all God's wisdom, maybe, and that's the key word, it's God. It's not us. Maybe he saw that the hearts of men were waxing colder and colder and colder, and it was literally a point of no return. I've had people say, well, I thought God was a loving God. He is a loving God. I thought God was a just, he is a just God. And that's why sometimes in the Old Testament, things like this don't make sense. Somebody say, please say amen to that. I don't understand it. But I can spend all day long talking about all the things I don't understand. But I want to talk today about the things I do understand about this story. And some of the characteristics of Noah that maybe we can put in our lives. So this is what I do know, okay? The moral condition of the world at the time was bad. Really bad. Listen to what it says. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of his thoughts, of his heart, was evil continually. And the Lord regretted. And that word regretted doesn't mean like I made a mistake. It means he was sorrowful. Because remember, what we heard last week was he looked at man. He looked at everything he created, and what did he say? It is it's good. And now it's for the very first time he's going, this is evil. And it all is this parallel or all this, this, this descending situation from that fall of man. And so he says he regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he grieved him in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heaven for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That word, that word regretted, every time I read it, it, kind of, it sits right here. Have you ever had a situation that you've regretted and you wish you could do over again? Well, of course we have, every one of us, and that's what he's saying right here. So the moral condition of the world was really, really, really bad, bad enough that God says, I'm going to do a reset. He literally does a factory reset on his creation. Here, let me tell you another thing that I understand. Today's culture seems to be very similar to the days of Noah. Hey, can I tell you something? I don't claim to be one of those guys that everything, every time something happens, I go, it's the end times, it's the end times, it's the end times. You know why? Because I don't know if it's the end times. And you want to know the truth? Jesus said this, not even the Son of Man knows the time. Now, I believe now in his great glory where he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, he knows exactly what's going to happen. But when he was man on earth, he had no idea. So for all these people to start to go, it's the end times, I don't know. I do know this. It seems like the hearts of men are waxing colder and colder. It seems like, like depravity is getting worse and worse. It seems like all the things that, that we read about in Scripture, like in, like in Matthew chapter, this is what Jesus says. He says, for as the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as the days before the flood were created, uh, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. 
so will be the, the, the coming of man. That was Jesus saying that. Now, 2 Timothy tells us about some of the things that are going to happen in these last days. Now, watch this. Please, 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 please read through these with me. Because I'm telling you, as I watch Twitter and I watch Facebook and I watch all the stuff that's going on in the world, I just scratch my head at this. There again, I'm not saying it's the last days, but we may be getting really close. We may be on the threshold of the last days. Listen to what it says. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of themselves, right? Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Hey, just, just for the record, did that sound like anything like today, right? The, the, anything like the culture we, we may be living in right now? Did, did it sound anything like what we see on CNN or see on Fox News? We see all, the, all the depravity that's happening in the world. So maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, we're getting close to the end if that's what Jesus is saying and that's what the, the, the Apostle Paul is saying. Now here's another thing I know. So the first thing I, I know is this. It was bad back then. Second thing I know, it sounds like today is a lot like back then. And he's going to have to do one of, one of two things. He's going to have to apologize to Noah or he's going to have to do something with our culture. Does that make sense? Here, here's the third thing. This is what I understand. God made a covenant and gave us a sign. Anybody been riding down the road right after a thunderstorm in, in, in the south? I love it in the south when it happens. And you get these big old, what are they called? You know, that's a sign of the covenant. That's a sign that God will never, ever, ever again destroy the earth that way. Now, I'm saying it kind of tongue-in-cheek that way because he didn't say he wouldn't destroy it another way. He just said he wouldn't destroy it by a flood. Now, it's interesting, this thing about covenant. Covenant defined is this. The conditional and unconditional promises made to humanity by God as revealed in Scripture, the agreement between God and ancient Israelites in which God promised to protect them if they kept his law and were faithful to him. See, the Bible speaks of seven different, you don't have to write this down, but seven different covenants, four of which are ones that were directly made with the nation of Israel. We can't today, thousands of years later, claim those promises, okay? So if we're claiming one of these promises, they weren't for us. It's the promise or the covenant of Abraham. It's the covenant of Palestine, which by the way, the covenant of Palestine is the reuniting of Israel, and it actually happened in 1948, if you, if, you, if you know your history lesson. That actually, the reconciliation of Israel actually happened in 1948. So God kept his covenant, okay? The Mosaic covenant, which was the one to Moses, and then Davidic, which is the one he gave to David. Of the four, three are unconditional in nature. That means regardless of Israel's disobedience, natural or spiritual, right, because we're naturally, I mean, we're the spiritual uh, Israel, the church is, and there's a natural, three of them are unconditional. So it's not based on Israel's disobedience or obedience. God will fulfill those. One of the covenants, the Mosaic covenant, is important that we understand this, is condition of nature that is this covenant. If they obey, they get a blessing. If they don't obey, they don't get a blessing. Okay, so that's four of the covenants. I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. There's three other ones, okay? There's the covenant of Adam, there's the covenant of Noah, and there's the new covenant. Jesus was the new covenant, okay? He said, I didn't come here to uh, abolish the law, I came here to fulfill the law. And then you have the one that we just talked about, the, the one from Noah, it's the rainbow. These were unconditional, and they were to all mankind. So when we look at stories like Adam, when we, we, we see that God 
God made a covenant with him. We see God made a covenant or a promise with Noah or God made a covenant through Jesus Christ. We've been singing about it all morning long. We can claim those covenants, okay? So we see that God made a covenant that he's not gonna destroy the earth. That's another really good thing, by the way. That's a really good thing, right? Because I'm telling you, today seems like a lot or a lot like it was back in the days of Noah. And here's the fourth thing that I want us to understand. This is just the things I understand. I'm gonna go, and then I'm gonna preach, okay? So here's the fourth thing. God uses people. You know, I used to tell my kids this all the time. And this is the struggle I've had with Genesis, to be quite honest with you. I, I said to my wife, I said to the staff, like, this is hard. Because, like, today we're going to, like, wrap three chapters up, but it's hundreds of years in those three chapters. And I used to tell my kids all the time, my, my, my kids hate when I say this, but I would say, how do you eat an elephant? When they thought that life was overwhelming and it was too much homework, how do you eat an elephant? And they would go, Dad, we know how to eat them now, one bite at a time, right? And I know nobody's eating elephants here, and I'm not claiming that you should eat an elephant, but you get the picture. And so what I'm trying to do today is just take one bite at a time, one little bite at a time of this Genesis. But you got to get all this stuff, this background, in order to understand why God used Noah. Okay, here's the last thing I want us to get in this. God uses people that are faithful and obedient. Do you hear me on that? Not perfect. So if you take notes, write down Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. This is a passage I want you to read. Ham, so he had three sons, right? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We read about that a second ago. About 500 years old when all this is going down, when he's getting all this information, all this instruction, he's about 500 years old. We don't know how. We're going to talk about it in a second. We don't know how long it took him to build a boat. It could have been 50 years. It could have been 75 years. It could have been 100 years. If you read the Bible, it looks like it was somewhere between 75 and 100 years. But what happens in, in Genesis chapter 9, 20, after all this goes down, and, Mo, uh, and Noah has had this great moment with God where he was, you know, he was faithful, he showed himself true and all this stuff. He gets drunk and he's laying in his tent naked. And Ham walks in and sees his father naked. Now, I don't know why that's a big deal. I do know this. I don't want to see my dad naked. Anybody like you, you know what I'm talking about? But somehow or another, it was really anti-whatever. So he walks in and when Noah finds out, he curses his, his son, Ham, and there's contention for centuries between the lineage of Ham and then Shem and, J and, Shem and Japheth. So there's this, this destruction, okay? So he was not perfect, but he was obedient. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if God started speaking to me about building a boat and it hadn't rained, I would have some questions. But this is what he did. I don't know if you've ever heard this. He told him to build the boat 300 cubits long. So it's about 450 feet. So that's a football field and a half. That's pretty big, right? Football field and a half. Right? Then he told them to build it 75 feet wide, so just short of what a football field is. Three decks with three levels and a, and a top, an, an opening. Now, it's interesting here. If you do some really big research, there's so many types and symbols in the Bible, right? If you were to go to Exodus chapter 35, 36, 37, 38, you see the tabernacle of Moses. And you see all these really great illustrations and types of who Jesus was. And you see that there was 66 posts on the outside. There's 66 books of the Bible. You see there was three rooms, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, in this, there was three levels. And you can almost go, because Jesus became our ark. When, when Jesus died on the cross, he became our protector. He became the thing that we can, we, we can find solace in. And so he tells them to build these three different levels. Then he says, um, build it out of gopher wood, which is also acacia wood, or some people say it's redwood, hard redwood, like it's in, found in California. And then he said, gather two of every kind, uh, every living creature, seven pairs of the animals approved for eating sacrifice. He told them to get in the ark with his sons and his wives because 
uh, it's going to start to rain in seven days. And he said, then it starts to rain for 40 days straight. Um, only Noah and his family remained. The ark floated for 150 days and stopped and landed on Mount Ariat, which is actually a place today. You can go there. It's in Turkey. So that's where Noah's ark kind of rested. And so it was there in Mount Ariat. 75 more days at the peak of the mountain. Right? Seven days afterwards, he sends the dove out. The dove comes back. Seven more days, he sends the dove back out, comes out with an olive branch in its mouth. Then he sends it out seven, no, seven days later, and it doesn't come back. And every time what was happening was there was no place for the dove to land. There was a tree for the dove to land, but there was nothing else. So he brought an olive, olive branch back. And then after he didn't come back, there was a place that he was habitating, the, the dove was habitating. He raised the ark of the door. He uh, opened the door up, and everything was dry. And then all of a sudden, he tells, you know, God tells him to have all the creatures of the earth to procreate. Okay, But here's a line. And this is the great line, okay? And this is where I want to land and talk for the next, I don't know, five minutes, ten minutes. Because I love this. This isn't the message. It says, but it says Noah was different. And just stop right there for a second. Yes, he was. He did some things that most of us would never do. Like, guys, it had not rained up to this point. So the whole concept of a boat was ridiculous. It, it's different if you're living in, in Augusta, Georgia, and it's been raining for the last seven days. I'm getting ready to build an ark in my house. I saw fish schooling in my front yard this past week. It's been raining like cats and dogs, and apparently for six or seven. But, but he did something. So when it says Noah was different, yes. But what made him different? And I love this next line. God liked what he saw in Noah. How cool would it be if when we get to the end of our life, or maybe somewhere in the midst of our lives, we do something great for God. And God says, I like what I saw in Brian. I really like what I saw in Brian. Man, what I saw in Alan, man, I liked what I saw. When I saw in Ben, boy, that was it. What I saw in Tim, I really liked what I saw in him. And so I started uncovering the story because it's more than just a fairy tale. And it's amazing to me because lots of people think it's just a fairy tale. And if out of so you know what's amazing to me? How many people have had small kids that you have decorated the room like Noah's Ark? Am I the only one? <laughs> I remember when my kids were small, and I remember walking in, and we had that little, what do they call that thing? A, um, a mobile, right? Is that what it's called, a mobile? And it was Noah's Ark, and I said, great, we're teaching our kids the story of death and destruction, yes. And it's in their bedroom. No wonder they're having nightmares. Right? No. So I think deep down inside the story, it's a story of redemption. And I think deep down, in story, down inside the story, it's a story about a man that we can extract some truth from and go, what made him different? What was it that God saw in him that he liked? Here's the first thing. I think Noah spent time with God daily, every day. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 says, Noah walked with God in the King James Version. Genesis 6, 9 in the Living uh, Bible says it like this. He, he tried always to conduct his affairs according to God's will. For Noah, living a godly life was an everyday pursuit. And more specifically, it was a today pursuit. Anybody ever hear the phrase or say the phrase, he's a Sunday Christian, but not a Monday Christian? I, I had a guy years ago um, I met. He was a, in, in a, he was a construction where he owned a construction business. And I remember we were sitting there one day. We were in the Chamber of Con Commerce um, meeting. And he leans over to me because he was known as ruthless. Like, I remember him on the softball. He was the one that would argue with the umpires. He got kicked out of all these games. 
But he would say on it, like, on a Sunday, I'm a, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus. And he, he'd tote and read scripture and all that kind of stuff. But this is what he said to me. I was sitting next to him. He says, I can't wear my choir robe on Monday. What? And you know what I found out? Lots of people do a great job of loving Jesus on Sundays. But Monday rolls around. And they're far from God. It's interesting to me because I can't extract the two. I can't, I can't, I can't be one without the other. I hear it all the time here at Journey. You're the same person on Monday as you are on Sunday. I'm the exact same person. Sometimes I'm a little bit more without a filter up here than I'm at home because I like being quiet. You know, you know what? I wonder what would happen in our lives and how God would work in our lives if we were the same way on Sunday. It's, how many people know it's easy on Sunday to be a Christian? I come in here and I sing a few songs. I raise my hands. Nobody's judging me too much. I go out there and have a good cup of coffee. I come in here and a message. There's some free childcare over there. It's amazing. Sundays are great. But how many people know that Monday happens? And Monday happens, your boss comes against you, your kids are going crazy. See, that's when it's important. And that's what I think made Noah different. Noah wasn't just a believer on Sunday. He was a believer on Monday. He was a believer on Tuesday. He was a believer on, on, on Wednesday, every day of the week. That's not how Noah, Noah lived in the presence of God. And I have a feeling, it's just give me the liberty on this. I feel like God is looking for men and women who are willing to walk with him on a daily basis. He will never ask you to build a boat in the desert. Amen. But he may ask you to share your faith on Monday. He may ask you to stand up and be different in the world that we live in. He, when everybody else is blasting everything that's going on, maybe he wants you to stand up and be the voice of kindness and grace in our community. He wants us to be that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. You know what's amazing to me? I have had so many people over the 17 years of being a pastor here at Journey. They've asked me, what does God require of me? Like, tell me, what does God require of me? Am I supposed to keep the Ten Commandments? Am I supposed to tithe? Should I be serving? Should I, should I, what, what should I be doing? It's found in Micah. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says this. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? How's that? It's right there. And this is what it says. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly. Just keep that scripture up there for a second. What's God want from me? Every day of my life. He wants me to do justice. You know what that means? He wants me to be fair. He wants me to be a truth teller. He, he wants to make sure that the things that come out... The things that come out of my mouth are truth, justice, that I'm treating people in the world with fairness. I'm treating people the way Jesus treats me. And then it says to love kindness. Man, if there's been an anthem at Journey for 17 years, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Be kind to the people around us. What's he want us to do? He wants us to do justice and love mercy and then walk humbly with our God. I'm not trying to draw attention. One of the things that's, oh, I was going to have no filter for a second. One of the things that drives me nuts is how people, and, and, and we've gotten into a culture, I don't have my, does anybody have a phone with you? Hey, can I use your phone? I'm just trying to get you off of it, really. I'm going to see what you were on. No, I'm not. <laughs> like, we, this is our culture today. Look at me. Right? We're in a selfie culture. 
We're trying to do everything we can to promote ourselves, aren't we? Like preachers are doing it, like business people are doing it. And one of the things that we say around Journey all the time, we don't want, we have a social media person that works all our social media stuff. And what we say to our social media person, and it's hard in the culture today, is we're not trying to draw attention to Journey. We're not trying to draw attention to ourselves. We want to put all the attention on Jesus. We want to make Jesus famous in the world we live in. But you know what I see, which is counterculture to everything else in the, like we're trying to do? It's everybody's trying to promote themselves. Look at me. Look at how good I am. Look at my business. Even preachers now. Like it's like, you know what they're called? They're called iPad preachers now. They don't have a church building. They don't have anything. They're just an iPad preacher. And everything is about promoting them. Jesus said this. Go back to that scripture again. I really like that one. I'm going to say, go back. Micah, there you go. He has told you, a man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly. Humbly. Well, how do you do that? Let me, t- let me tell you how I do it. And I, and I battle this every day of my life. I have to spend, I have to, I have to spend time in prayer every day. Otherwise, I don't do those three things. I have to spend time in God's word every day. So I'm praying and I'm reading God's word. Every, every day I'm trying to do those two things. I have several people from our church that were, were in a, like a Bible study thread. And I have one, I have one gentleman, um, coach, um, Lonnie Morris, he, he comes to our, he's serving right now in children's ministry and then he comes to second service. And every, every, every morning he sends me a passage of scripture. And so every day I'm reading that, and it's amazing to me how those passages come to life because of something that's, that's going on. So how, how do I make sure? That, well, the first thing is I'm in prayer. I'm in the word. You know what else I'm doing? I'm worshiping every day. Worshiping is not, worship is not what we do in this building. Wor- worship is what we do out there every minute of our lives. Singing is just part of it, right? Now, if you ever see me singing... It's either a worship song or Bon Jovi. Ask me to roll down the window and you'll figure out real quick which one it is. But worship every day, that's how I do it. Spend time in fellowship with other believers. I don't know how, I don't know how people do it that don't have a community of faith around them. I've watched it more times than I care to admit that when I extract myself from my community of faith, I am struggling and it's hard. But when I'm in my community of faith, when I'm in with my, my, the elders team, my, the Rich Wyatts who I'm friends with, my, my Todd Hampson and Clay Colvin, I'm, and when I'm in it with my staff, I, I, I'm, I'm so much more, it, the, the things that come against me, I'm, it's so much easier to come against those. And, and the last thing is this, in, in this area, is we need to spend time, and this is one of the things I think that Noah did really, serving, serving someone somewhere every day. Every, every day. Find, find a place Find a place, man, I blew it. Can I tell you how I blew it? Like, I don't like to admit. Anybody like to admit when they're wrong? So how many people know that today's Valentine's Day? If you didn't raise your hand and your wife is sitting next to you, you are in so much trouble. Don't even look at her right now. Okay, I can see the face. But I decided the other day, so I've been for 30 years buying my wife flowers. I don't need Valentine's Day to buy my wife flowers, all right? And so, um, but the other day, she asked me to go get some whatever, at Publix. So I'm, I'm like, ooh, they got roses in here. I never get my wife roses. So I said, I'm going to get her a dozen roses. They were $19. Good Lord, I remember when roses were like $19. 
So I get a dozen roses. And by the way, if you work at Publix, can you knock the thorns off the roses next time? I was trying to be all cool and take the wrapper off it so she didn't see how much they cost. And I thought, good Lord, I'm puncture wound and pint of blood, you know, and all that kind of, but anyway, I'm sitting there. So I'm walking, I'm walking around where the roses, and I didn't know this, but right now at Publix up here, there's roses everywhere. But I go to the, where the roses are, the roses section, right? So I get one. This older lady walks up to me. Man, I blew it. I just blew it. I was so embarrassed. She said to me, she said, she said, are you, somebody's wife is sure got a lucky, or is sure lucky. And I was like, yes, she is. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. <laughs> Hold on, would you record that for me? <laughs> No, and she said, um, I, I told her a story. I said, I've been married 30 years, and there's not many weeks that my wife does not get flowers. Um, it goes back to the message. Remember the message a couple weeks ago? Don't wait till they're dead to, to give them flowers. I've taken that in my marriage, and I just, I like getting my wife flowers, and I like doing that kind of stuff. Well, she said, my husband never did that for me. And said, um, and then he died, and I've been a widow. And the right response right there would have been to serve my community and found something to serve and buy her. I walked out of there and I said, I should have bought her some roses. I should have just... Look for opportunities. And in order to look for opportunities, you know what we have to do? We have to slow down. We have to slow down and pay attention to the culture around us. It may be bad out there, but we can make it better, can't we? So the very first thing was he walked with God. The second thing is this. Noah committed himself to obedience. To obeying God. Every small detail, he obeyed God. During the Vietnam War, there was a captain I was reading about, Captain Ray Baker. And he was part of this uh, strategic air command in the Air Force. And one of the things that they had to do and learn how to do was when a buzzer went off, regardless of what they were doing, they could be right in the middle of chow, they could be, you know, talking to somebody on the phone, whatever it was, when they heard that buzzer, they would run from wherever that, and they would run out to their B-52, their planes. And so they were just strategically, it was just, it, they were just, they were, they were programmed to do this. So right in the middle of dinner, and this was all part of their plan. So they would go out there. Well, he was on furlough and he lived in California. So his family took him to this really nice Mexican restaurant in California. So they're sitting there and all of a sudden, this guy just runs out of the building. And, and all of a sudden they're running out after him. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They're going, dad, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking for my plane. Where's my plane? So what are you talking about? Where's your plane? He said, I'm looking for my plane. I heard the buzzer. Where's my plane? So they walk back inside and they calm him down. And about two seconds later, they hear this buzzer that's above them. And it was the way they, they would let the, the staff know that there was meals that were prepared and ready to be served. And the buzzer went off. And, and as I was reading that, you know what I was thinking about? Obedient speaks of unquestioned, immediate action. Obedience. When we say we obey God, it's, it's immediate action. It's not let me think about it. It's not let me go through the process. Hey, how is this in a cost-benefit analysis? How is this going to play out for me? See, Noah, when Noah was given the commission to build this ark, he didn't ask 55 questions. He started to build the ark. How long did it take him to build the ark? Nobody knows. Decades at least, based on the size of the project. Perhaps it took more than a century. Um, most theologians say somewhere in the 75-year range. It took day in and day out consistency to build this project. You know what he did? He built this project when he didn't feel like building. How many people have ever had a problem? I'm going to clean the garage out. And you start cleaning the garage out. And it's a two-day project. And then you turn it into a two-week project. And then it turns into a two-month project. And then, in my case, two-year project. You know why? 
I just didn't feel like doing it anymore. Could you imagine for 75 years getting up every morning and building a boat and it's not raining at all? Hey, how about building a boat when it's never rained and your friends are making fun of you? Could you imagine that moment? Hey, no. Nope, no rain today. Could you imagine some of his friends just joking around, walk up one day with an umbrella? Ching, 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 shut up. Ching, 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 God, come on. Ching, 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 ching. Right? Could you imagine building when there's not a cloud in the sky? Could you imagine cleaning up after all those animals? <laughs> that was obedience, y'all. Genesis chapter 6, 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 5, it says, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. See, it's important to realize the simple phrase, Noah did all that he commanded him. Afternoon after afternoon after afternoon after afternoon. See, we, we understand. We understand obedience with an incremental payoff. How many people have ever worked out? Raise your hand. Okay. How many people have ever gone on a diet? Raise your hand. Come on. How many people are on one right now? You're doing good. See, I'm an encourager. I don't even know who raised their hand. So when you go on a diet, the plan is, I'm going to go on a diet for a week or two, well, whatever your time period is. I don't go on a diet. But after a week, you lose some weight, right? You lose three or four pounds, right? If you're a guy, you lose eight or nine pounds and the women hate you, right? You know, what did you do different? I just drank water this week. You know, you didn't exercise? No, I didn't exercise. Right? But at the end of the week, there's a little bit of a payoff. You've lost a little bit of weight, right? So at the end of 30 days, hopefully, whatever your target is, you've lost that. Maybe at the end of six months, you want to lose 30 pounds. At the end of six months, you've lost 30 pounds. So you had an incremental payoff. So along the way, your obedience was being, was being, was, you were getting something for your obedience, right? Not Noah. Noah didn't get any of that. See, it's easy to be obedient when I'm getting something out of it. But what he's doing here is he's doing something he's not getting a payback. He's not getting paid. God's not pouring out all these blessings for his obedience. It was different. You see, here's the deal. Sometimes our obedience comes with immediate payoffs. How many people have ever been, like, you pray a prayer, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing this right here, and all of a sudden God pours out blessings in your life. Anybody besides me? Just me. Perfect. Two people. Right. Okay. So, like, I've heard this before. I'm going to be obedient to tithing. This is a big one. I'm going to be obedient to tithing. And they write the check, and the next day, God blesses them like a hundred times full. I'm like, been doing it for years, God. Pour one out this way. Right? You ever get that one? And then there's ones God tells you to be obedient. And I've shared this. I'm not going to share you the prayer, but I've been praying the same prayer, the same prayer for 30 years. I've been praying for one thing for 30 years, and God's not answered my prayer yet yet. But you know, one day he's going to answer that prayer. And then there's going to be a book that tell you about the 30 years or 40 years or whatever it took for God to answer that one prayer. See, here's, here's why. Here's why it's so important. This is what we've got to get. When Noah started building that boat, it was not raining. 10 years into it, it was not raining. 
15 years, 20 years, 30 years, it was not raining. But he knew the rain was coming. And the reason we should obey God is not because the rain is here, it's because the rain is coming. Even when it doesn't look like it's going to rain, that we know God's going to do something. That's why that scripture is so powerful to me. He does exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. Because when the rain comes, it comes, doesn't it? When the blessings come, they come in huge buckets. God says it'll rain. I don't know what you're, can I just, I don't know what you're carried, what you carried in, what you're, if you're down at Sherwood right now, I don't know what you've carried in this place, but I want you to know something. And I felt so strong all week long about this. The rain's coming. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know when it comes, but the rain's coming. And Galatians tells us, and it challenges us, and I love the way it says it, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Guys, it's coming. After years and years and years and years and years of rain, in this little town, this little desert town, 75 miles from the, the ocean, there's no way it's going to float itself. All of a sudden, the rain comes. Here's the last thing. Noah had a life of devotion. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an ark, an altar to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal, of every clean bird offered, burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never curse the ground again because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike, strike down every living creature as I've done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, day, night shall not cease. But verse 20 is the key. As soon as he got out of the boat, the first thing he did was build an altar. He was going to tell God how good he was. What's it mean to be devoted? Because that's what he was, fully devoted. If you're a devoted employee, what do you do? You put in extra hours. You make sure that your product is the best product out there. You make sure all that your clients feel like they're worthy of something. That they're the best, that they're the most important thing. That's what devoted means. What's a devoted husband or a family man or a wife look like? That means above everything else, that person. I'm all for gifts, okay? So I don't want to sound like the bad guy, right? I don't, I don't, I don't do a lot of, like, we don't do Valentine's Day. Like this morning, I sent her a note. I, I, I bought her roses, but, and that should work. But anyway, because I don't want her just to know that she's special on Valentine's Day and Christmas and Mother's Day and, and Father's Day. No, that's me. I want her to know that she's special every day. Every day of the week. That's devoted, isn't it? That I wake up and I bring her a coffee in the morning. That's devoted, right? Or, 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 or for your, you know, whatever it is for you, you figure it out. So what's it mean to be devoted as a believer? It's simple. It means you put God first in everything you do. God's first in everything you do. It's a whatever you do mentality, right? Not whatever. It's whatever you do mentality. I love Colossians says it best. And whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
Give thanks to God. Father, through him, whatever you do. So when you're at church, you're giving the best. When you're at your workplace, you're giving the best. When you're, when you're sitting down at the dinner table, you're giving your best. When, when you're out on a date, you're giving your, wherever it is, whatever you do, you're giving your best. That's what he did. He gave his best for all those years. And then he said, God, thank you for being faithful. When's the last time you've done that? I have three questions. We're going to close right here. We're going to have a response time in a second. The story of Noah is not just about creation being destroyed. It's about a man that was walking with God. Are you walking with God? Not just on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Are you walking with God? Are you doing the things that it takes to have that relationship with him? The second thing is, are you living a life of obedience? What are the areas of your life? Because when I started talking about obedience, I guarantee what happened in your mind, it popped up the things that you're not being obedient, not the things that you are obedient in. So what are those things? What are the things that you got to go, I got to step it up right here. And are you giving God what he deserves every day? Every day. Every day. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.